I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. Today's guest has a very interesting life story. Here is the abridged version. Drew Marshall was adopted, grew up in a funeral home, dropped out of school in grade nine, and ran away to California to be a wrangler. He traveled around North America volunteering for charities and tried to be a firefighter and a rodeo cowboy. Drew was a stay-at-home dad. He worked a little in TV and film, became a pastor in Australia, studied stand-up comedy and improv at Second City Toronto, and so much more. Drew also hosted The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened-to spiritual talk radio show for 16 years, having interviewed hundreds of celebrities about their beliefs or lack thereof. He interviewed the likes of Kristen Chenoweth, Alice Cooper, James Brown, Larry King, Chuck Norris, Rain Wilson, and Deepak Chopra. He's currently under contract with a major publisher to write a book about all of it. What Drew and I will be chatting about today is his three-month vow of silence as he traveled along the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James, a nearly 1,000-kilometer walk in northwestern Spain. In our conversation, Drew shares what led him to walk 1,000 kilometers in silence, what he calls accidental intentionality, his insights about the importance of asking questions as a precursor to listening, and why his vow of silence gave everyone involved permission to dive below the surface in conversations. Drew shares a powerful story about what happens when we make assumptions, including how listening can open our hearts and open our minds to receiving new people and new experiences. Finally, Drew explains the way in which life slowed down when he went silent, how silence affected his creativity, and his approach to chasing the why. A lot can happen when we intentionally say nothing, when we listen more than we speak. Allow me to share one of my favorite kids' books that demonstrates the power of silence in the presence of others to help preface this episode. The book is called The Rabbit Listened by Corey Dorfeld. One day, Taylor decided to build something, something new, something special. Something amazing. Taylor was so proud. But then, out of nowhere, things came crashing down. The chicken was first to notice. Clock, clock, what a shame. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry this happened. Let's talk, talk, talk about it, cluck, cluck. But Taylor didn't feel like talking. So the chicken left. Next came the bear. Grrr, how horrible. I bet you feel so angry. Let's shout about it. Grrr, But Taylor didn't feel like shouting, so the bear left. The elephant knew just what to do. I can fix this. We just need to remember exactly the way things were. But Taylor didn't feel like remembering, so the elephant left. One by one they came. The hyena. Let's laugh about it. The ostrich, let's hide and pretend nothing happened. The kangaroo, what a mess. Let's throw it all away. And the snake, let's go knock down someone else's. But Taylor didn't feel like doing anything with anybody. So eventually, they all left until Taylor was alone. 
In the quiet, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit. But it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together they sat in silence until Taylor said, Please stay with me. The rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked. The rabbit listened as Taylor shouted. The rabbit listened as Taylor remembered and laughed. The rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to hide, to throw everything away, to ruin things for someone else. Through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing. With this story in mind, it's now over to you, Drew. Let's listen in. So who is Drew Marshall in a nutshell? I'm an autodidactic iconoclast. Tell me, what, what do you mean by that? Good, good talk. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye now. Uh, well, autodidactic is sort of a self-taught thing. And iconoclast is, well, you know what that is. You know, everyone's walking down the sidewalk one way. And I like to turn around and see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Everyone walking the opposite way, right? So I think all of this just comes from probably me being ground zero for ADD or something like that. I don't, I have no idea, but I am fascinated in, uh, I am like a faux sociologist. How's that? <laughs> I basically have just been the creepy guy who's been watching humanity for 50 years. That's a cool answer. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on listening specifically because I, sorry, my thoughts on, on what on, on listening, on listening, on what? Listening, listening. So I'm hoping that you can share your, your <laughs> insights and kind of shed some light on this topic of listening and really how it relates to creativity. And I, I really want to know, I really am excited to dive into your vow of silence and what what that was all about. Well, I, it was, I was approaching my 50th birthday and I wanted to celebrate it in a cool way. <laughs> and I, uh, for a n- number of years, had been interested in a a pilgrimage that I found out about called the Camino, the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. And apparently it's where they took the body of St. James after he was killed and they buried him in some underneath some churchy place that has now turned into a big cathedral place. Uh, And so I, I knew I wanted to walk this trail, but then a friend of mine was getting me to practice uh, silence for three minutes a day, three minutes a day. We called it um, STFU. Shut the blank up. That's what it was for three minutes a day. And, um, and that, that just got me interested in what was happening to me when I was trying to be silent. My brain was racing and didn't feel like I was silent. So I thought, well, three minutes is it's not working. I don't think the impact is there in three minutes. So I extended it. And I extended it. And I extended it. And then I, I started um, being silent one day a week for six months. And this was all in a lead up to this pilgrimage that I was thinking about doing. And then I thought, holy crap, I should do this pilgrimage while shutting up. So it was, I, my life is filled with accidental intentionality. It, it's, I can look back on things and go, wow, that really fit together. And boy, that looked like it was so intentional and, and so so wise. But no, there's zero wisdom inside of my head. Um, so the next thing you know, it turned into three months of silence. And it was perfect time in my life to do that. Um, you know, a guy who has hosted a talk show for so many years, it was definitely time for me to shut up. So the last thing I said was to my daughter when she dropped me off at the airport, I said, I love you. And the next thing I said was Christmas morning, three months later, I said, I uh, said to my wife, I asked her if she would marry me again. Mm. Those are great bookends. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so much, I mean, I, I just, so I'm writing now, I left broadcasting and I'm writing. Harper Collins asked if I would be interested in putting something together. And, uh, and I just finished writing about my Camino travels and what it was like being silent uh, and interacting with people. So this was not a vow against or a vow of non-communication. Mm-hmm. I could communicate. I just decided to shut up and not talk. So I would do a lot of hand gestures uh, you can communicate a lot with your hands. Um, so I would go into a place, uh, a, a little restaurant or cafe, and I would point, I would kind of point to my mouth and make a puppet. How do I do this with my hand? Um, like a, yeah, sock puppet talking. Point to my mouth, sock puppet talking. Wow. Sock puppet talking. And then kind of put it, my, draw my fingers across my throat. So in other words, mouth talking, no. So they would know I wasn't speaking. Most people would get that. And then I would point to the coffee maker and I would put my hands, my arms up in the air to indicate huge. <laughs> and then I would make the gesture of milking a cow. And they would give me a large coffee with milk. There you go. But I would also, when I was communicating with people, write down questions on the notepad on an iPhone that was disconnected from everything. So I have three months of silence, all of the questions I asked people that I met along the way written down on my notepad. Mm, that's a neat, that's a neat kind of token to have. Yeah. It was also a little frustrating. It's like, why did I ask that? What was the context there? What, mm. what I, oh, I wish I could remember. Um, but it was, it, it, it catapulted me into something I'm always raging about, which is that we don't have very good askers in the world these days and we certainly don't have any or very many good listeners and it's hard to be a good listener if you can't be a good asker to begin with because mm. people say oh everyone needs to be a good listener okay well that's that's great but but how do you how do you start that you know the other listening means you're listening to somebody well how do you get somebody to talk and what are the kind of the key questions that you need to ask somebody in order to get them to talk and can you give them the pocket of silence they they need in order to feel comfortable but in normal conversation you can't give them too big of a, of a pocket of silence because then it's then it's just like awkward it's just it's that awkward chunk of silence so when they knew i couldn't talk all of a sudden it gave permission for that silence not to be awkward right but how do we become better askers Oh, I think uh, the, the, the ground rule or the foundational building block, block for that is, um, is authenticity. Mm. Um, we, we all know the surface questions. Hi, how are you? Fine. Doesn't actually mean how are you? <laughs> um, and their answers, because we know hi, how are you? doesn't actually mean hi, how are you? Our answers are also fine. Like you just said, fine. Fine, thanks. How are you? So when I was silent and people knew I was in a three month vow of silence, it it also gave me permission or gave the conversation uh, permission to go right into deep stuff, pretty stinking quick. So I could be having met someone for five minutes. We're walking along the trail uh, along the Camino and, and I would show them a question that I had written down and and it it could be something like who's hurt you the most in life. Well, you don't say, you don't say that. You don't ask that question to someone you just meet at a bar. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm I'm Drew. Hi, I'm I'm Diane. Hey, great. So, who's hurt you the most in life? Because I would be out of that bar in a heartbeat. Actually, I wouldn't. I think that'd be hilarious if someone asked me that right off the bat. But I know I would terrify a lot of people if I asked that. So, authenticity. What do you really want to know about someone? Like, just ask. I don't know. It comes down to authenticity. What do you really want to know? A lot of people, when you force them to be authentic about their asking, then are faced with the fact that they really don't give a holy grunt about anyone. I don't want to ask them that. Why? Because I don't care. Mm. Okay, then stay on the surface. That's where sharks do their best killing. So stay up there. Mm. So you mentioned that you wrote down questions and that there was kind of this nonverbal communication, two-way communication back and forth. 
But what did you really, what were you able to hear during this intense period of listening when that kind of traditional two-sided communication stopped? Great question. Can you just hold on to that question for a second? Because I, while you were asking that question, I wasn't listening. I was thinking about my previous answer uh, and realizing that there's more that I should have said. Well, I think I, I was 16 years interviewing celebrities etc and the feedback i got were you know i got some great feedback about people i'm sorry from guests saying oh i really enjoyed that interview i remember kathy lee um having me on the today show and she said you know this guy he doesn't have a set of questions that he just wants to ask and therefore when you answer the first one he just goes to the next one if there's a rabbit to chase he chases it if there's if if there's a natural progression in the conversation, follow it. Mm. So that's the other thing when it comes to asking questions, being an asker, is listen to the first answer. And if you want to say, so, how you been? And they go, fine, how are you? If you want to be authentic, go, whoa, 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 hold on. Fine, how are you is a crappy answer. I really want to know how have things been going. And all of a sudden, you're jolting the other person out of this numb I don't even know what the right word is, but this numb facade Mm -hmm. of interaction. It's a false interaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Call BS on yourself and call BS on the other person and their little, their little surfacey answers. And and then if you pick up that they don't want to go there, then okay, don't go there. Right. Yeah. That, and that, that's part of the, I think the listening too is kind of is taking in the, the undercurrent of the conversation and how, how far do you ask or how, how much do you push uh, and how authentic do you want this conversation to, to really, really be? And in some cases it may be absolutely appropriate and welcomed and maybe other times not. Thankfully, not everyone's wired like me, but I get accused quite often of when like I'm at the pub with a few people and we're chatting away and I'm asking and asking and asking, and asking, and asking. And they're like, Whoa, I'm not on your radio show. Knock it off. And, I, and so I have to slow down and go, okay, hold on. First of all, I'm like, I was like this before the radio show. And, and number two, also drew just be normal. Um, you know, you might have to float back up to the surface every once in a while and then go down deep again. Um, because as I've discovered, not everybody is is cool with being an asker. Mm. But you are. Yeah. I love asking questions. And I think that comes back to curiosity. I think having that kind of authentic authenticity on both sides of the, of the equation of the conversation is, is um, being authentic in asking questions and being curious and being authentic in answering truthfully and, and kind of openly. And, and I think there's a lot of trust involved there. Absolutely. Um, oh, I just answered a question. Never mind. I have, I have my own internal commentary. Good luck <laughs> editing this. Okay. <laughs> All good. All good. I'll figure it out. So maybe, can I go back to that question before? Yeah, then? sorry, please do. That was a great question. Just say it again, please. Yeah. So just in terms of this kind of non-traditional two-way communication that you were having, whereby you were uh, using body language, you were using text to ask questions, to communicate with others. And, uh, but it wasn't this back and forth of, of same speech. Like how did the conversation change or how, what did you hear during this intense period of listening? Some people find it very hard not to interject themselves all the time or too much in conversations. What Hey, did you go on holidays this winter? Yeah, I went down to Mexico. Oh, I've been to Mexico. Mexico was amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I've been there like four or six times. I've been to this place. But that. that whole thing started with them asking somebody a question that, and we've all met people like that. You asked me this question because you really wanted to go on and on about it yourself. I was forced not to go on and on about things after the person answered. Mm. Um, because I I hate typing. I hate texting typing and here I am writing a book so it's just it's painful I just hate it so it forced me dictation use dictation speak into your computer edit after I know I know but here's the thing (laughs) I I have to use the the time and effort it takes me to type in order to process my thoughts (laughs) Um, otherwise it just comes out gibberish it forced me to to actually to shut up and listen and 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 it forced the other person not to deflect because they couldn't ask 
they couldn't ask back, right? If someone who wants to get out of a, a conversation, they can go, well, what about you? Mm. Where, you know, where have you, look, I'm a master of this. I could teach uh, a, a full-blown PhD course on how to avoid uh, sharing things about myself. Mm. Now I'm being interviewed right now, so I'm happy to lock and load. But if it's a social setting, I mean, I get made fun of all the time. Uh, it's, it's, it becomes hilarious that I just, so um, what was my point? My point here is, you know, it, uh, this is such an overused phrase, but it really created a safer conversational environment. That's what, that was what was different. And I think, well, here's a quick example. When I started, when I trained for silence one day a week, I would still try to do whatever I would normally do. Um, and I remember going to the LCBO I don't know where your listeners are all from, but that's the place, that's the government-run store that sells booze in Ontario. And I, I, <laughs> I've gotten to know the staff uh, fairly well there. And uh, this one day I walked in and silent, and this one girl was talking to me like usual and chatty chatty, but I had to explain to her that I wasn't talking. And so I had it already on the wallpaper of my phone. I'm in a, I'm, I'm in a day of silence. I can't talk right now. I don't know, whatever I said. And she's like, Oh, really? Oh, okay. That's weird. But then again, you're weird. So that I, this makes sense. Okay, good. And then next thing you know, she starts sharing things that she has never shared. She's never shared anything personal with me. And I didn't even ask. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of working here. I'm not sure how long I'm going to be here for. I really, I really need to change the direction of my life. I'm like, Really? All of this happened just from me not talking? Mm. Interesting. There's certainly far fewer landmines for me to step on when I'm not talking. I have the, I have the gift of discovering your sore points and then tripping on them. I, ha I can offend anyone. And when I'm not talking, all of a sudden I had, I had people that liked me. <laughs> But it's so interesting that in that example that you that that you said that when you when you stopped speaking, all of a sudden people wanted to speak to you because maybe that opportunity uh, to to speak and really be heard or at least have no interruption and no possible way of interruption is something that we rarely get these days. Yeah, and it all. I mean, I think hindsight. I look back on this. It was a few years ago that I did this. It reintroduced people to the comfort of silence. Mm. I really think we have become a society of, of people who are very uncomfortable with, with silences in social settings, let mm. alone being by ourselves. You know? I'll give you a quick story of something that happened to me on the Camino. Uh, I, I was checking into a hostel and I was taking my, my boots off, putting my walking sticks down and, and getting the information for my room. And in comes this guy and he's staggering long hair ponytail and he's older guy. And he's just, and he was hammered. It was like four in the afternoon. And he's just hammered because he's just wobbling all over the place. And I can hear him talking, slurring his words and the whole thing. I'm like, give me a break. Anyway, I avoided the guy. And then the, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think maybe most of us have been at that point at some point, but on this trail of intentionality, it was just one of those things where I went, ah, I just, you know, next morning I go down and get my boots and walking stick and start to tie things up. And here comes the guy and he's still hammered. He's still hammered. He's slurring his speech. He's wobbling. He's just happy, way too happy. The whole thing. I was like, oh my goodness. What is up all night doing this? So if you don't get out of there, if I didn't get out of there quickly, I'd end up walking beside this guy or near this guy for like the entire day. Cause that's just the cadence of walking. Everyone kind of walks about four kilometers an hour, uh, roughly. Anyway, I booked it. I'm gone. I'm like an hour ahead of this guy. And then I find this really cool little archaic church and I pop in and I go, this is nice. This is, I'm just going to, I'm going to drop in right here. I'm just going to sit down shut up. Well, I already am shutting up and listen. And well, then I, my time is done. I'm really kind of chill. I open the door to start walking the trail and there's this guy and he's right there. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And he says, hey, man, hey, you mind if I walk with you for a little bit? Like, oh, okay. 
So I have to explain I'm, I'm silent. So now he's got to fill in the blanks. Okay, let's go walking. Turns out he's walking the Camino before ALS takes over his entire body. Wow. He's not, he's not drunk. Mm. He is staggering because he's got ALS. Mm. He is slurring because he has Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And this guy walked with him for two days. He was an international kickboxing boxing champion from Germany. He taught me more about me mm. while I was shutting up, being fed a big chunk of humble pie. I had to help him zip up his zipper out of his pants because his fingers weren't working and doing his belt up and like that stuff. I'm way awkward. And he, it was just an absolutely uh, profound awakening because the commentary inside of me was, dude, this is me saying to me, you are such a judgmental ass. Mm. And all of this happened without you saying anything. People know you're a judgmental ass when you talk, Drew. But you're not saying anything. And you're now you've got to face this. This guy taught me so much walking along. And here's a guy. Now, he just died uh, two years ago. Mm. Um, and I'm so thankful for that experience. And I don't think I would have had that experience if I'd been a, a, a chatty radio guy on the Camino. Mm. I have no idea what the original question was. I don't either. doesn't matter. <laughs> So maybe there's something to be said then for, I mean, I am certainly guilty of this, having a rolling conversation in my head or an, a predetermined answer to a question that has not yet been asked or that is just starting to be asked. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not even listening to what nope. the other person's saying. I, and, and oftentimes it's with, it's with good intentions and it's, it's not, it's not coming from a negative place, but it's me wanting to sound right or me wanting to um, not be vulnerable or not yeah. have that silence in yeah. a given moment. But there's so much I think that we can learn by shutting up. You, you just nailed so much right there. I'm pretty good at presenting well verbally. I, I can be the, oh, I've been the class clown, the village idiot. I was asked to leave four different schools. One of them burned down. Um, uh, I, I can entertain a room and I, I can navigate conversations with anybody with, with whether it's James Brown, BB King, Alice Cooper, all these people I've interviewed or with the dopey farmer that lives uh, just down the road. Who's never left his land once. I called him a dopey farmer. I can't believe I just said that. Sorry. I was trying to do the contrast thing. Right. So they, no, anyway. Okay. I'm going to back that off. So I, I take, there's a pride in me that I can navigate conversation with anybody. But when I'm not talking, I have, I, I got that crutch I lean on. It's mm -hmm. not there anymore. Right. You're not in control. I'm not in control. Excellent. Absolutely. Interesting. So what's the big lesson here? What, what have you learned? What's like the, the number one takeaway from all of this for you personally? The, what went hand in hand with not talking for three months and walking a thousand kilometers was how, how much life slowed down. Mm. And we, we live very, very fast. And I'm also willing to admit, I, I live a life where I have the privilege to go silent. Try, try being silent for three months. Okay. Not everybody can do that. They got bills to pay. They got to go, they got to do their jobs. They got to do their shift. They got to whatever it is. So I'm, I'm sounding a bit like a princess here, but it is, it is so, so crucial to slow the hell down. And two great ways to do that is shut your eyes and shut your mouth. Right. It revealed parts of my ego that I thought I dealt with. Mm. It revealed how hurting people really are. Mm. I heard so many stories. And I, not, and I wasn't listening to them from a seat of condes, um, condescension. That's not even right. A, a seat of judgment or a seat of better than. I, I was listening to them just going, oh, my goodness. We are all the same. <laughs> we're, just, we're just all the same. And yet everybody has unique stories, but we're all the same. Everybody just wants to be seen and heard 
and acknowledged. Um, and so when I say now what all the yoga people say, you know, um, stuff like, um, you know, it's important to be seen. I, I really actually kind of get it now. I wonder how you would fare um, with a day of silence. How do you think you'd do? That's a great question. And I think I've often thought about doing that and what that would look like with two little ones at home. But I think that, yeah, I, I, I think I could do it. And I think there would be lessons to be learned in even a short one day vow of silence or whatever you would call it. But it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't come naturally. Maybe that's, that's why I asked the way to put it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's exactly why I asked. Cause I look at you and I see somebody who would kill it in broadcasting, kill it. I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> from my little home studio, AKA my child's closet. But yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it would be challenging for me for sure. Maybe I'll try it tomorrow. See what happens. I remember the very first day I tried a day of silence, I got out of bed, put my feet on the floor and walked towards the door in my bedroom. And I accidentally kicked the humidifier and cussed my face off uh, out loud. Uh, So I was four seconds into a day of silence (laughs) and just let it go. Sorry, let me just uh, tie in something else here as as far as creativity goes. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm an Enneagram four. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, look it up and look up a four. You'll see a lot of negative things about, about my personality, drama being one of them, but also a massive appreciation for beauty. And I, um, both going blind for a week and not talking for three months allowed different facets of beauty mm. to seep in. You certainly hear things a lot louder than no, no, no. People say, Oh, I hear when blind people, you know, their hearing is accentuated. Okay. If you're blind for 30 years or you're blind from whatever birth, sure. You're hearing, but if you're just trying it for a week, your hearing doesn't all of a sudden change. Of course, You just hear more. Mm -hmm. And the creative side of this world, the beauty, the nature, and of those people that I interacted with during those two things, the beauty within, they became apparent. Ooh, that just sounded like I write for Hallmark. Sorry. <laughs> you write for HarperCollins now, so. Oh, you. yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting you say that in terms of, of in that link to creativity and hearing things differently and seeing things differently and appreciating the beauty differently and seeing maybe the big picture differently. So... I think, may I call you a creative person? Mm-hmm. Yes. How was your creativity amplified? Or did you, do you remember thinking back to those experiences? Was your creativity amplified or changed the moments after, the days after, the weeks after those experiences? Yeah, very much so. I remember coming back and I, I don't create with paint. I don't create with colors. I don't create with architecture i create with words and i my my the words that were coming out of me on the page were albeit a little bit flowery um a little bit wordy but it, the, but they were i could see the beauty coming out of me i could see and, and so i it wasn't so much as uh impact it didn't really impact me how do i say this was i impacted in my creative outpourings yeah, but I was actually more impacted by the observation of creativity, by the observation of creation, by the observation of beauty. Doing those two goofy things, not talking and not seeing, uh, uh, let stuff in deeper. It just got deeper because, dude, I think we're all ADD in, in the Western world to some de- degree. We are, we are distracted by so much. And when you're walking in one day, I remember the longest day of walking I did was 52 kilometers. You, your body um, reaches a point where, where you're forced to 
deal with stuff you're not normally forced to deal with, with as far as pain and tolerance and distraction and quitting, like quitting is huge, especially for creative people. Mm. I remember one time I was watching a TED talk on procrastination when I was supposed to be writing. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> as you do. Yeah. And it's, it can be hell on us, but to, I mean, I never looked at the clouds as much. You can't walk a thousand kilometers and not be enamored by the sky. Hmm. The sky's there every day. It does the same stupid thing every day, but I don't notice. Right. I was going to say, I often, I often think that. So oftentimes if I walk my dog a lot, not 52 kilometers a day, but I walk my dog a lot and oftentimes my gaze will be straight ahead or sometimes I'm ashamed to say I'll be looking at my phone or something like that. So I'm at this like 45 degree angle downwards. But then I think to myself, and I try and do this consciously more often, but I'll tilt my head up 45 degrees instead. And all of a sudden, it's this opening of, oh, it's a pretty big world up there. <laughs> like it's, it's always there, but it just mm. takes that conscious acknowledgement and awareness to remember to look up instead of anywhere else that so often I forget to do. Diana, you just said the, the key word for this whole thing, and it's openings. Mm. Um, shutting up for three months allowed openings within me. It it allowed me to see openings. It allowed me. To, it allowed. It created openings between me and other people, between myself and other people. Openings. Mm. Great summation. Okay. Now, on that note, what do, do you think that we? as a society or what can we do based on your experiences, your lived experiences, these experiments of sort that you tried, how can we learn from your experiences? How, how can we listen better? How can we slow down? How can we be more intentional and allow for the opportunity of the openings? I'm not a big believer in learning through someone else's words. Mm. Because I think the real learning comes in performing the actions. How can we? How can we? You know, you're not going to learn a thing from me. You're not. You're going to hear some stuff go, oh, that's interesting. But go out and bloody try. Like, come on. It's try three. Do what I did. If you want, try three minutes of silence. I don't think it's going to do you much. So if you're real serious about having a silence impact you, increase the time to something mm -hmm. that you think is, is doable in your world. And not everybody can do a whole day uh, of silence. You know, the yeah, 10 day Vipassana retreats that they do. I mean, that's like, that's insane silence. That's like, you can't communicate with other people. You're not supposed to look at other people. Mm -hmm. You got to sit on the floor and not have any back support. That's where I'm out right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I admire people that want to do that, but you don't have to be as grandiose as some meathead who decides to shut up for three months. Try it a little bit here and a little bit there, but then, you know, it's, it's more, it, it's not only about trying, it's about, it's about observing. Are we eyes wide open to this kind of stuff? How can you not shut up for one full day and not observe something? Mm -hmm. And if that happens, then try it again and try it again. So what, do you, what can you learn? Frig, I don't know. Like, you know, we're, I'm, I'm hoping to do some retreats here on the farm where people sleep in, 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 on the on the property here, uh, and we're right a, a, um, adjacent to the Alora Cataract Trail. It's a fifty-three kilometer trail, roughly fifty kilometer trail. And the guests are gonna we'll be we'll take care of them, catering and accommodation, the whole thing. But then when they hit the trail, um, they walk the trail in silence, by themselves in silence, and then come back to the farm, and we're gonna talk about that. What was that like? What happened? I, I'm not a big believer in uh, in prescriptive, for example, a pre prescriptive retreat where here's what we're going to teach you and here's what mm -hmm. you're going to learn from us. You can, come on, podcasts and Anthony Robbins and Eckhart Tolle and Oprah, and we got more information than we know what to do with. I think we need to shut up and listen to what we already know instead of continuing to learn. Mm. So stop that inundation of information and media and impressions placed upon us and really listen to what's deep in there already. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But one of the ways to listen to what's inside 
effectively is to share with someone what's inside. Yes. So that A, you hear yourself saying it and you learn from it. And B, the other person, if they're a good listener, find a good listener. Everybody needs to find a good listener, a good asker, find them. They might be able to map back to you. So what I'm hearing you say is, you know, that kind of therapy talk. What I'm hearing you say is blah, blah, blah. Um, journal. My goodness. And this is from someone who does. Sorry, I shouldn't have even said that because I don't journal. I, it's painful for me to journal. But I'm smart enough to know it's probably one of the best things any human being can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am not an avid journaler, but I always carry a journal <laughs> and I scribble notes down, whether surface level or deep, they are in there in some sort of point form, really cryptic to anyone else looking at it, but it makes sense to me um, point of view. And if I don't have a pencil, like I carry this around the house with me, <laughs> it comes everywhere with me, it came on a walk with me the other day. So it's, yeah, I, I, I can appreciate that for sure. I think there's a lot to learn by, by trying, as you said, the, the experiential piece. Let's practice something. Okay. It's so hard. <laughs> it can be really, really painful. Really awkward. When I practice that, it's it's been a while since I've been in a silent groove. But when I'm looking at somebody and I'm practicing that, holy heart attack, it's just really, you know, and you, you I've seen many sitcoms where they some they go to some weekend marriage counseling thing and they say, well, they just stare at each other's eyes for five minutes. And I just, I have a, like a mini puke that happens in the back of my throat. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. But why it's ridiculous for me, like I like chasing the whys. There's another thing for you. Why, why am I feeling like that? chase the whys and the whys is because uh sorry the thing that i found out while chasing the why in regards to looking at someone during silence is holy cow it's intimate Hmm. we are missing intimacy and connection my wife and i own a cafe and we hire young young people and i said to one of them hey can you, here's the landline that we have in the cafe. Can you phone Bev and tell her what you just told me? And she's like, ah, uh, she, she recoiled and went, uh, no, I'll just text her. We got it. We have, I'm starting to sound like the old guy with the gray beard. We have now a generation of people that are terrified of conversation, words, speaking conversation. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because we've conditioned ourselves to hide behind screens. Why? Oh, we're going to chase the whys now, are we? Um, (laughs) I think probably you have a better idea because I'm way older than you. I just look at them and go, hey, bunch of kids. Eh." I I think there's, I mean, look, there's, it's obviously at the surface, it's got to be what relational breakdown. Um, um, We've, we've slowly trained ourselves to, ourselves i'll put myself in no i'm not no no anyway i'm sorry i'm just pontificating right now what do you think i heard fairly recently and i i I think there's truth behind this that there are really only two emotions in this world there's love and there's fear and so i think that it comes from a fear-driven place so fear of what fear of uh looking rejection stupid fear of rejection fear of being authentic, fear of people knowing who we are truthfully and authentically, fear of our identity not matching the norms placed upon us, fear, 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 uh, all wrapped up in this neat and tidy little device that allows us to put up a, a wall between us and our fear, a shield. Yeah, and we're able to, we pre- we present ourselves in inauthentic ways so you post pictures of your you're on holidays or you're having fun with the friends at the bar or you're you're snowmobiling or you're <clears throat> wakeboarding i don't know whatever right and so we we have we have gotten into the habit of only presenting the coolness of us mm-hmm. they look what i'm doing look how great things are etc 
and uh, and that has forced us into false presentation mode 24 7 and even though we know i think most of us in the world know that that what we see online is only a very small snapshot of what reality is like for that individual we're seeing their their highlight reel as it were and not peeking behind the backstage and seeing all of the behind the scenes or the other 99.9 percent of life but there's still some i think some thing at a psychological level where we feel inadequate and we feel like we don't belong and we feel like that we're not good enough um, because our picture is not as filter ready or what or pretty or or whatever it's not it's not click worthy it's not likable and it's hours likable and hours and hours sometimes of this conditioning and this scrolling and this kind of internalization of what we should be Mm. and the realization when we put the phone down of what we're not Mm. what we're not supposed to or we're not not what we aren't and I, i don't know i think even for someone like um, like me speaking personally and through my experiences, I think that I have a very logical way of like I, I can detach myself from the myth that is social media, the mystique, the 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 front that is social media and that it's not real. It's not reality. Uh, there's a much bigger picture to zoom out from, but I still get sucked into it for sure. I still feel those oh, yeah. those raw kind of emotions that that pop up when i'm scrolling through and and seeing these really cool things that are happening that i'm not a part of fomo fear <laughs> fear of missing out i don't know you just you just sounded like tim miller fomo <laughs> anyway you know, i feel like we derailed a bit but you're you're uh, 20 years younger than i am and so you're in that mid stage because you and I can both look at those who are 20 years younger than you and go oh kids these days and blah, 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 whatever right but you're closer to that uh, than I am but my experience with the broken broken ways we communicate the broken ways we communicate um you were again spot on you're a bit of a freak uh Diana with this whole spot you're being accurate thing um <laughs> With fear and love, like you are just, you've just nailed it. I've said uh, with COVID, um, you know, with a person, when pressure gets on them, when they undergo pressure, certain things come to the surface that was maybe, you couldn't see it as much before, but became very clear once some pressure came in. And it's the same with a society or a culture. When the pressure comes on that culture, you see what comes to the surface. And what has risen to the surface is fear, hugely also, narcissism. I mean, we throw that word around these days a little too, like the, the clinicians are hearing us throw around narcissism going, well, it's just easy with the using that word so much. But we have just been how afraid we are. Um, and I have experienced this personally when I ask people questions. I met someone for the first time, uh, had to do with cafe business and bread and um, sales stuff, and they were part of the company that made the bread and blah blah blah. And I just started asking personal questions. I always do because I I find it more the most interesting thing in the world. Personal questions within 10, 15 minutes, and I and my wife jokes about the fact she'll actually say this. Did, did they cry? The amount of times I talk with people and they start crying makes me wonder if I need to get better mouthwash. I don't know. It is. <laughs> It's, it's painful to see the pain in so many people, the fear and and just the buildup of broken communication, broken self-worth. Mm. Um, anyway, sorry. Wow. How That's long good. was this talk supposed to be? I don't know. I feel like we've covered a lot. I feel like we have, uh, we've kind of gone like this in and out of listening, but it all connects. It all connects. So maybe... Maybe we leave it there. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're yeah. very, very good at what you do. You are. Thank you, sir. You you too. You too. No, it's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate your time and your insight. And, and I think that maybe tomorrow, maybe I'll try it tomorrow. My one day 
vow of silence and see how that goes and see what I, how I come out the other side. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Inspired by Drew's efforts, I took my own teeny tiny vow of silence the day after our conversation. While mine only lasted about eight hours, I did manage to get to the zoo with my kids during that time. I definitely slipped up a few times, accidentally breaking the vow while interacting with my kids. Who's stinky? And big fat squirrel were two of my slip ups. I learned a lot during a short time. For example, I learned that time does slow down when I stop talking. It felt like there was nowhere to go and nothing to prove. The speediness that so often dictates my days temporarily vanished. My typical desire for inputs was almost non-existent. This included very little desire to look at social media or to watch TV or to listen to music. I simultaneously had no desire to work, which is unusual for me, while also having huge creative flow in an uninterrupted divergent stage of creative ideation. This looked like pages and pages and pages of thoughts and ideas and action items that became louder when I quieted my voice. I kissed my kids more. It was a really interesting few hours. I invite you then to practice your own vow of silence. Whether for an hour or a day or a month, I can guarantee you that you will learn something when you shift the focus from talking to strictly listening. If you have others in your life that rely on you and therefore the challenge seems unrealistic, your vow of silence could mean only speaking when spoken to for a period of time, for example, refraining from prompting discussion. Or it could mean listening only to someone else's story and concerns, just listening, being there for them and showing up to listen to what they have to say without actively needing to solve anything or give unsolicited advice. Whatever it looks like to you, happy listening. <laughs>